Welcome to the Skyline SIB podcast. We just want to let you know that God loves you and has an amazing plan for your life. It's no mistake that you're tuning in right now, so keep listening. May God speak to you through this message. How are you ready for the Word this morning? You're ready for the Word of God this morning? The whole series on the parables of the kingdom? Amen. Father, thank you for the parables of the kingdom. And now open our hearts and open our minds, open our spirits above all to really draw from you, God, that your seed of your word will take root in our hearts and produce fruit in our lives. We ask this all in Jesus' name, all God's wonderful people said, amen, amen, and amen. We continue our series this morning on the kingdom of God. Somebody say, kingdom of God. And we're talking about the kingdom parables, most of which are in the book of Matthew. And today we come to the parable of the dragnet. And I've subtitled it, When the Time Comes. And I want you to read together this passage, a very short passage, Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 to 52, the parable of the dragnet. And I'd like you to read it so loud so that everyone in the first service on their way home can hear you, okay? Are you ready? Come on, are you ready? Those of you online as well, read with me. Ready, go. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the brief parable of the dragnet. And you may wonder with a brief parable like that, how can you actually make a sermon out of it? You know, I've learned it from some of my younger pastors because they're very good at making sermons out of even one short parable of one sentence. You know, the parable of the pearl and so on and so forth. You remember that? When Pastor Rachel preached. But let me ask you this morning, which is the most famous equation in the world? I didn't hear anything. Nobody knows about equations. E equals MC squared. How many of you know that? Say amen. The rest of you who didn't know that, you are MC squared. Mong cha cha. Okay. Which is the second most uh, you know, famous equation in the world? This is a lot more obscure. It probably is this. How many of you know this? Okay. This equation is used by scientists to determine the number of planets in our galaxy that probably contains intelligent life. Somebody say, wow. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, intelligent life. Turn to your neighbor one more time and say, he's talking about you. Okay, praise God. Amen. This is called the Drake's Equation. And the Drake's Equation was formulated by Frank Drake in the 1960s, early 60s. And it says this, N, which is the number of planets in our galaxy, and it's the number of planets in our galaxies that probably harbor intelligent life, is equal to our star. Our star is the rate of formation of the suns in our galaxy, times F subscript P, which is the proportion of planets that come from these suns, times N subscript E, which is the proportion of planets, number of planets that actually look like planet Earth and are habitable times F subscript L, and the proportion of planets that actually probably could contain life, times 
F subscript I. Not only life, but the proportion of planets that will contain intelligent life. Times F subscript C, which is the proportion of planets not only containing intelligent life, but could actually have a civilization that could last and connect with us through radio telecommunications. And times L, which is the length of the time these civilizations would last. Because every civilization eventually destroys itself. Somebody say, wow. According to this formula, with 1.3 trillion suns in our galaxies and 100 billion planets in our galaxies, we should have a huge number of planets teeming with life. Not just life, but intelligent life. And we should be able to communicate with them. And that's what we've been doing for the last 60 over years, ever since the Institute of uh, Search for Extraterrestrial uh, Intelligence, SETI, was uh, started. And uh, that's when, with radio telescopes and radio telescopic recorders, we've been scanning the galactic skies for signs of life for 60 years. And guess what we have found? Nothing. Up to today, everything is silent out there. There is no life. Somebody say, wow. So, are we the only intelligent people in our galaxy? Wow. That's an amazing thing to think about. That we were sitting here with our small brains. We are the only intelligent possible life in the whole galaxy. Well, the reason possibly is that life on earth, you know, came about in a really, really, if you look at it scientifically, in a really, really unusual, incredible, improbable way. It's so improbable for life ever to come on this planet. Because when we first started 4.5 billion years ago, that's how scientists say how old the Earth is, which is one-third the age of the universe, that nothing existed. But somehow, there were a lot of fluke events and fluke probabilities, and fluke occasions where somehow organic life, nobody knows how, arose from inorganic substances on earth. And then these life actually formed the ability to replicate with a replicator like a gene. How it formed? I mean, it sounds improbable. And not only did it form genes, but eventually it began to form cells. And these cells, however improbable, began to organize themselves into organisms. And eventually these organisms organize itself into some form of, you know, living life, plant life and, 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 and you know, our animal life. And eventually, right towards the end of our 4.5 billion years of existence, somewhere at 4.499999999 billion years, man appeared right at 100,000 years ago, right at the very end. And when you look at all this whole equation, it's a highly improbable event. Very improbable and took such a long time that it is probable that probably we are the only planet that actually harbors life. Probably. In the whole of the galaxy. Maybe even in the whole universe. Well, I'm one of those who probably believe that probably this is so. And because I think we are unique. Don't you neighbor and say you are unique. But you know, Unique as we are, we are essentially selfish creatures, totally incapable of cooperating to bring about the maintenance of life on this earth. And so unique as we are, we are the greatest threats to the human existence and to life on this planet. And right now as we sit here, there are three 
or four or possibly even five factors that could in the very near future cause the extinction of the human race, if not in our generation, in the generation of your children. Climate collapse, not just climate change, but climate collapse. The way we're going, climate collapse is almost inevitable. Global nuclear war. We're sitting on the cusp of potential nuclear wars right now. The world is not getting safer. It's getting even more dangerous. Bioengineered pandemics. Whether you believe the Wuhan virus was bioengineered or not, the new bioengineered pandemics that's going to come and hit the human race, you know, will make the Wuhan virus, uh, you know, child's play by comparison. And this could wipe out people by the billions in the world in the coming days. Artificial superintelligence holocaust. You know, people like Elon Musk have called for a moratorium to the development of AI because things are getting way out of control and no nation's going to stop because they're afraid that if they stop, they'll be behind other nations, especially superpowers. Okay, so none of the superpowers are going to stop. And just a week ago, Jeffrey Hinton, the godfather of AI technology, just resigned from Google because he didn't want to have any part, more part in the development of AI because it was going way out of control. Is it possible in the coming days, artificial superintelligence, machines, in other words, are smarter than us, can obliterate the human species? A possibility. And of course, the final thing, which is not under our control, an asteroid impact. When I say these things, that, that, that we are the cusp possibly, you know, in this generation or the next, for the extinction of the human race in the end of the world, people sit up and take note because I'm couching it in scientific terms. But if I were to say to you, Jesus has said this all along. It's in the Bible. One day the world will end and history will be rolled up and this earth as we know it will be destroyed and there will be a new earth. And he's coming back again for his church and coming back for us soon. Somebody say amen. Many people will think, you know what? This is flights of fantasy. It's just Bible language. But I'm talking potentially about the same thing because this is exactly what the parable of the dragnet is all about. The end times the end of the age. What is God saying to us? What is He warning us? Because one day, the time will come. So let's begin by talking about this parable. And in some ways, this parable bears a little bit of resemblance to the parable of the wheat and tares, which was preached by Pastor John many weeks ago. And the wheat and tares talks about the coexistence of both good and evil struggling together in God's kingdom. And you cannot separate them until the end of the world, until the time come, okay? Because we, good, and, good and bad exist in God's kingdom right now as it stands. You can't show, be sure who is good, who is bad. That's the weed and tares. But when you come to the parable of the dragnet, you talk about a fish, good fish, bad fish, and then you separate them at the end. Aren't they kind of the same parallel, parables? Yes, they're very similar. But while the weed and tares talks about the coexistence presently, and the struggle between the good life and the bad life, and the good people and the bad people, those who are saved and those who are not. The parable of the dragnet really concentrates on the end time where the sorting out takes place. So it's a little bit slightly different in emphasis. And the parable of the dragnet, I would like to encapsulate it in three points. The first is that there will come a time, and there is a time in this parable when the net is cast. Secondly, there's a time in this parable when the net is drawn shut. And thirdly, there's a time in this parable in this parable where the catch is sorted out. The net is cast, the net is drawn shut, and the catch is sorted 
out. So three points. It is a very short parable. Firstly, there is a time when the net is cast. Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. Somebody say fish of every kind. It's a dragnet. It gathers all kinds of fish. There is a time when this net is cast. Of all the parables Jesus articulated and shared in Matthew chapter 13, this was probably the best understood parable by the disciples. Why? Because one third of all the disciples, four of them were fishermen. And the rest of them actually lived by the Sea of Galilee. So they knew a thing or two about fishing. They certainly knew a, a bit about fishing, a lot more about fishing than they probably knew about gems and pearls of great price. Okay? They certainly knew more about fish and fishing than about real estate investments and treasures, you know, in the field. They certainly knew more about fish and fishing than about, you know, leaven or yeast because they don't do any baking. Most of them, they're all men in those days, okay? And they probably knew more about this than, than over even mustard seeds or even about wheat and tares because presumably not many of them were farmers. But here, in this parable about the dragnet, every one of the disciples, they had something to say. Every man and his dog had a little bit of opinion. And they, they had a little bit about fishing. And Jesus was using this analogy to teach them about what happens when the time comes. He said the net is firstly cast. That's the first thing. The net is cast. Okay. The time when the net is cast, so what does it mean? It means that now is the time. Okay. Now is the time. Why is that? Because there's something about the net being cast that it includes everybody. Everybody is drawn into this net. This net is inclusive. It includes everybody. So what does that mean? What is Jesus trying to tell us? There's a season in the lifespan of everyone on earth and a season in the history of man that everyone is included. And that time is now. Ever since Jesus went to the cross and died for us on the cross, hung on the cross for the sins of the world, whether you know it or not, whether you receive it or not, whether you respond to it or not, you are included in God's salvation. You are included in God's grace. It covers you. And it gives you a chance to respond. You are within the ambit or the capture perimeter of the net, of that net. And that time is now. So long as you're breathing and listening to me, whether you believe Jesus as your Lord and Savior, whether you have given your heart to Jesus, whether you have faith in trusting Jesus for your life and open the doors of your heart to Him, or you don't, or whether you're rejecting, you are still within the perimeter, the ambit of the net. Somebody say amen. Because Why? The net, as we know it, contains all kinds of fish. Every kind of fish is in it. Every creature, sea creatures in it. It is a universal net. It's a net that gathers everyone. And that's exactly what Jesus said. In John chapter 12, verse 32, He said, when I'm lifted up, He was talking about the cross. When I'm lifted up on the cross, I will pay for the sins of the world. I will draw all people, everyone, all across the world, unto myself. I will gather them. So we know that the time that the net is cast is now. And Jesus used the analogy of the dragnet. Not just any net, but a dragnet. And I want you to know this. You know, some versions in the Bible, they just say, you know, the parable of the net. And Jesus uh, drew a net. 
and uh, drew the parable of the net and the net that was used. But actually, the, the Greek word there is the dragnet. It's a wood dragnet. See, there are three ways of fishing in the Sea of Galilee. Firstly, is a cast net. A cast net, as you know, you see it being used in KK, in our, in our shallow waters here. You have that, the whole rim of that net or the perimeter of the net weighed down by, you know, weights. And then uh, you wander into the shallow waters with that net and you cast. And as you cast, you know, uh, over, over a stretch of water, a small stretch of water, the weights quickly cause the net to sink right down to the shallow water, into the bottom of the shallow waters, trapping the fish. And then you draw them in. The problem with this net is this. It's very localized. You can only use the shallow waters. It's not inclusive. It's only shallow waters net. You can't get very much fish about that. You can't get deep sea fish. It's only shallow waters. It's, it's very limited. Jesus was not talking about a cast net. He was not talking about a drift net either. A drift net, as you've seen, uh, is a net that's probably about two or three uh, feet or four feet. Sometimes it goes into the water or maybe it's slightly uh, deeper. But it's held by floats. And you, you lay the, the net out from the boat. And as you lay it, then you suddenly, you, you keep it floating. And then you sail away for about an hour, two hours. And you come back again. Hopefully the currents would have washed the fish or the swift have swum into the nets. And depending on the mesh size of the nets, you either catch big fish or small fish and you pull them up. But deeper fish, you probably won't get. Because it's a drift net. It just drifts more or less at the top up to the midsection of the, of the lake of the sea. Jesus was talking about a dragnet. Now, a dragnet is very different. In a dragnet, vertically, it is quite long. It goes all the way quite deep down. The top of it is usually floats. The bottom of it are weights. And so, it's a very heavy net and it's a long net. Usually, what happens is that one end of the net is hooked onto the beach, to a post or something, a tree or whatever on the beach. And then the other end of the net uh, you know, it's laid on into the boat and the boat sails out into the distance and then it circles, it makes a semicircle and comes back to the point, near the point where the end of the net is hooked on. And then the men jump out of the boat and they start pulling the net from both, the, both ends. Okay, now this is the point about that net. The net is vertical because it's kept down by the weights and it's deep so it takes everything that's in the sea or in the lake from top mid and even the bottom section. Every kind of sea creatures, every kind of, you know, fish, you know, where is deep sea or, or shallow waters fish, it's all dragged in. It's a dragnet. And that's why the dragnet can contain so many sea creatures, all kinds. It's not shallow waters or deep waters, all kinds. Even crabs, crustaceans, shellfish at the bottom, sea slugs, it just pulls it in. That's the dragnet. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a dragnet. As it comes a time like now when Jesus has died on the cross, that net is spread wide. Everywhere right across the world, there's grace operating. Anyone can come in. Everyone can come in. There's an opportunity for everyone. Anyone can be saved. Now is the time when the net is cast. Somebody say amen. This is the time of grace. Somebody say grace. Everyone is invited. Everyone is included. Everyone is offered salvation. Everyone. Somebody say everyone. It includes your loved ones. Includes your household, includes your best friends, includes your spouse, includes your boyfriend or your girlfriend, includes your co-workers in, a, in, in your office, includes strangers, everyone, every race, 
every nation. The net is cast. So if that's the case, then every church must reflect this kingdom culture. Church cannot be exclusive. You can have a church and say, you know what? We only want Chinese in this church. Or we want a certain race in this church. Or we want a certain kind of social demographic group in this church. We want professionals. Or we want them to have a certain net worth. We want a certain education level. You cannot. There's no such thing in the kingdom of God. Because I want to say amen. So the church must be inclusive. I know inclusive is a word that, you know, has been taken on by the woke generation. But the Bible was the first one to advocate that everyone has a place in God's kingdom. Somebody say amen. Every church must reflect this culture. So we must ask ourselves as we sit here, are we inclusive? Do people feel at ease when they come in? Do they feel they belong? Do they feel they have a place here? Do they feel there's family? Do they feel connected? Does somebody welcome them? You know, even though they don't know what's happening in this church, is there a friendly face that says, welcome, you belong here. Oh, I've come here with all my baggage, all my background. If only you knew my background, you might reject me. No, you belong. Do we have this culture? We must ask ourselves, are we having fun together as a family? Because in a family, one of the things that happens in a family is that you may do the worst things in your family, but at two o'clock in the morning, you can come by half drunk, you knock on the door, the door is still open for you. Even though they may be upset with you, it still opens and you still have a bed. Somebody say amen. Or the kingdom of God is like that. It's a dragnet. Everyone is here. welcome here. You are included. And he needs help. There's laughter. There's hope. We bear one another's burdens. You know, we give you hope. We give you encouragement. We bear one another's burdens. We cry with you. We stand with you. We journey with you until you're restored, until you're healed. Because this is the way the net works. It is inclusive. You know, um, the author, Philip Yancey. How many of you have heard his name? Philip Yancey. He's an author. He's written some fantastic books, including What's So Amazing About Grace. He's written another book called Vanishing Grace. Love reading him. Um, and Philip Yancey said this is what one day he did. He was trying to find out what subcultures the churches had in his town. So this is what he did. He looked up all the churches in the phone book. And he found there were 24 churches in his town. So he decided over that year to visit every one of those churches. And he said most of those churches made him feel really uncomfortable. So every time he walked in, he walked into a, a subculture where there were expectations and unwritten rules that he didn't know. And so long as you didn't fit into those rules or sub, uh, and, and expectations, you were sidelined or shunned until you conformed. So those subcultures were only welcoming to a very narrow segment of people. It was not inclusive. It wasn't dragnet. It was like angler fishing. It's only a few hooks here and there. The church cannot be like that. And Skyline cannot be like that. Somebody say amen. amen. We cannot be like that. Okay? Everyone who comes in, you and I, we belong to this family. And this family God has given to us is to reach out to another family. Somebody say Amen. Archbishop William Temple said this, the church is the only cooperative on the whole of planet earth that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Think about that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's how we all came into the kingdom. So our, our subculture should be one of inclusiveness. That's why we have Skyline Night. We won't tell you what this church is all about. You may not understand, but just come. Oh, I'm not sure I want to belong to this church. Never come, just come. Don't worry. Give you a meal. Don't worry. Just be fellowship with us. And you can make up your mind. But you're welcome. 
Why should we have an inclusive culture? Because the dragnet is cast. The time is now. And this is a time of grace. And so, there are no barriers. There should be no barriers in the church. Every race, gender, social class is welcome. Somebody say amen. Galatians 3.28 tells us there is no longer Jews nor Greeks, male or female, you know, slave nor free, because we are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what it says. So, we live like that. We live like that, okay? Oh, you, your English may not be so good. Don't worry. You're still part of this church. Oh, you know, no, I, I'm major in Bahasa Malaysia and, you know, indigenous language. Don't worry. So long as you can fit in this, you know, you, 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 you're welcome. Be part of us. Oh, it doesn't matter because I come from a slightly different social demographic. It doesn't matter. There's no barriers, okay? And there are no superheroes, by the way. And the reason why I say this is because in many churches, many churches, and sometimes they look at Skyline and they think like this, oh, Skyline, you know what? It's a church of people who, who go, you know, they go to a five-star hotel. So you need to be about five-star. You need to be five-star in your, you know what? Your finances. You need to be five-star in your kind of your, your uh, social stature, stature in, in town. You need to be five-star in your education. You need to be five-star. You don't need to be five-star because there are no superheroes in this church. You know, we are all no stars. And the only star is Jesus. Can somebody say amen? Come on, if you want to give them a big hand, give me a big hand. Because that's what it is. There are no superheroes in this church. We have just broken people experiencing victory to God's love and truth. God's love and truth gives us the victory. We are broken people. All of us. I don't know how, you know, you feel that you are, you know, how good you think you look. But we're all broken people. You look at me. Oh, you think you look good. You ask my wife. Lots of limbs. A lot of break and brokenness. Broken people. No superheroes. The senior pastors are not superhero. Elders are not superheroes. Because we think the church is meant for superheroes or people of five-star stature. You see, what happens in many churches is this. When people feel that they're going south in their life, you know what they do? They don't come to church. I've just had a breakup in my marriage. I don't come to church. Because churches are people who are successful in their marriage. Rubbish. It's not true. Oh, my, my children are facing substance abuse problem. You know what? I, that's, I feel ashamed. Come to church. Because it's your family. We are broken people. Made right by the love and the truth of God. Somebody say Amen. Oh, you know what? I'm going south in my business. You know, my finances are really down the, down the chute. And it's, it's, it's getting from bad to worse. You know, I, I've had to change from a, a Mercedes to a Proton. Wait, okay. I can't come. Says who? You know, you belong. We love you and your Proton. Somebody say amen. Oh, you know, I'm facing difficulties because I've got a loved one with a terminal illness. I've got to care for him and... Come, because we want to hold your hands and we want to burden bear with you and walk with you through the difficulties. Why? Because the net includes you. It includes you. It includes us. We're broken people. And so long as you understand this and you know this, then you know the truth of what God is trying to say in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is now no condemnation. Everybody say no condemnation. Don't feel condemned. The Holy Spirit can convict you of sin, but He doesn't condemn you. If you feel condemned, it's from, it's from the devil. Somebody say amen. Are you good enough? Yes. 
Why? Because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Somebody say amen. I'm under grace, not law. Somebody say amen. I don't have to perform to prove myself worthy of my salvation. Somebody say amen. I'm not under works. I'm under grace. Somebody say grace. Are you good enough? I am. Therefore, I'm not under condemnation. Show I have failures. Show my things are not going well in my family, but I'm not condemned. That's right. There's no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Somebody say amen. And therefore, we are more than conquerors. Romans 8, 37. Through him who loved us. You're more than a conqueror. Everybody say, I'm more than a conqueror. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're more than a conqueror. Once we understand that, once we understand that, then when you come to Skyline, when you come to this church, and it's what we've been trying to tell the church, and we're trying to tell each other all along in our journey, and I'm speaking to those online as well, you know, come back, come home, come and be part and parcel of this family. Because every time you come here on a Sunday, we say to you, welcome home. Welcome home. This is home. Home is where you belong. With all your brokenness. Because God has made us, made us His home. He lives in us. And we are His family. When we come together, somebody say amen. Because why? The net has been cast. And it includes all of us. And that time is now. And once we realize that, we know the power of the dragnet. That a dragnet is a wonderful thing. It's not a drift net. It's not a casting net. Just a small area. It's a dragnet. Goes out into the oceans. Now you know trawlers with dragnets. You see them nowadays? You know, in the old days in the Sea of Galilee, during the time of the first century AD, when Jesus was talking about dragnets, there was probably a one square mile they can cover. That's about the capacity of their boats. Now they can cover 10 square miles. 20 square miles. You've seen this mega, super trawlers. Everything, even in the ocean, they drag up. Okay, I'm not saying it's really necessarily good for the ecosystem, but it gives you the idea. Everything. And Jesus said, you know what? I, you may say to Jesus, I'm just a little crab. Everything. Jesus believes in fishing Chinese style. Sumua masok. Everything, we throw nothing back. Somebody say, Amen. That's the way you fish. Not Western fishing. You know what? Fish too small, just throw back. I'm so sorry. I'm, you know, yeah, just, you know, oh, it's just too small. No, everything. I'm just a small crab. That wants who he wants. Yeah. Welcome home. Everybody say, welcome home. Turn to your neighbor and say, give them a high five and say, welcome home. Oh, come on. You don't, I can't throw this home at all. So turn to your neighbor, give them a high five and say, welcome home, guys. Welcome home. Those of you online, I know you're at home, okay? So come back home because you're welcome home here, okay? There is a time when the net is drawn shut. So there's a time when the net is cast. But one day, the net will go, will be drawn, and it will shut. When is that time? When is that time, okay? Well, when it was full, they drew the net to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but through the bad way. So when the net landed, whatever fish was on land, that's it. The net is shut. It's drawn shut. For that fish that's landed on land, it's shut. You can't get back into the, the water anymore. When is it shut for us? It's at a point, you know, when, when, when that happens in our lives, 
is a point where it happens to all of us. See, for the fishermen, the moment they arrive, you know, the, the boat that has one end of the dragnet, the moment they arrive at the shore, okay, they all jump off the boat and they start pulling and pulling. And the other guys at the other end also start pulling. And everybody going, heave! Have you seen them? Heaving! And going, oh! They just pull. And that, that net takes forever to come in. Everything else. And because this net takes in everything, you know, all kinds of creatures are caught in the net. But you know, for the Jews, they don't eat any sea animal that has no scales. Oh, they only eat sea animals, fish with scales. Those are the ones that are kosher, that's allowed by Jewish law to eat. You know, so all those things that come in together with the dragnet, they throw away. You know, what do they throw away? They throw away crabs. They throw away lobsters. They throw away prawns. Oh, they throw away, you know, fish without scales. They throw away, you know, clams, you know. Oh, they throw away mantis, so they'll call all kinds of, kind of things. That's why every time the Jewish fishermen are pulling in the dragnets, the Chinaman is always hanging around. Because there's plenty of all that stuff left over for him. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. Hallelujah. Because we love fish. We love prawns. You live in KK. How can you not eat? But for the Jews, there's all the fish with scales. Is the only one. So they were they're catching up all those fish with scales. The good fish. The hoi tai kai. Ah. The pak chong. Ah. And then the, the, the sek pan. The lo si pan. Everything else. Okay. But all the eels and the catfish, they don't want. They don't want that. They throw that away. When is the point? Here's the point now. At which the nets shut. The point at which the nets shut in, for us, every one of us, is when death comes. The moment the fish lands, it cannot go back into the water anymore. That's it. It's a one-way journey. The moment death comes, it's a one-way journey. You can't get back into the water and swim again. You can't say, you know what, I'll just go back to my life and relive that. Remake my decisions. Just think about things again. Can't. The Bible says, it has been ordained for man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. Once. Now, you may believe you know, there's a you know, cycle of karma, and, you know, after, but the Bible tells you it's very clear. Once. Everybody say once. It's ordained for man once to die. After that comes the judgment. So when death comes, that's it. How have you lived your life in that time? How have you lived? How have you lived your life up to now? The dragnet challenges you because it can come very suddenly. Last week, I was ministering in Shanghai together with Pastor Nancy. How many of you want to follow me my next trip out, okay? All right, it's to Afghanistan. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, so I was ministering, but Pastor Nancy and I were ministering out in Shanghai. And uh, having a good time taking this church for, um, you know, uh, you know a, a retreat and ministering there. And then, uh, as you're doing, suddenly, we got news. Shortly after we arrived in Shanghai to, start to, to minister to this uh, Congregation, we had news. And news that a dear friend had just suddenly passed away. And that dear friend was a person of Dr. Thomas Jung. How many of you knew he passed away just last week? Dr. Thomas Jung is a dear friend of Skyline. 
He's been here and preached many times. You've known him, right? Do you know him? What do you remember about him? What is his, his clock shoes, okay? Uh, some of you remember his, his gestures, right? Others remember his never mind, okay? Others remember him singing, you know, Gregorian chants on here, you know, on the pulpit here. So, you remember. Affectionately, right? And many times uh, while he's been preaching, he's been singing. And, you know, he even acted in one of our musicals called The Prodigal Father many years ago. I think it's about 10 years ago. He was there. Suddenly we received news that Thomas has just passed away. But like, oh, Thomas, how did that happen? Thomas and I, we go back a long time, 40 years. We both, you know, did our medical studies in, in the UK. We were just, we were trained in the UK as doctors. But we chose to come back to Malaysia. He came back to East Malaysia, Sarawak. I came to West Malaysia, East Malaysia, Sabah. And uh, we preached the gospel. So much in common between two of us. Preached gospel. We're kindred in terms of spirits. We just, we just saw the importance of the word. We loved the word. We preached the gospel, you know, in season, out of season. We're passionate about the kingdom of God, about the church. He's a little bit older than me. And, you know, the last time I saw Thomas was about five months ago when we had a meal together in, in Kuching. And we had a great time just sharing. And suddenly, Tom's gone. Tom's gone. You don't know when the net will shut. Okay. The clock of life, life is wound but once. And no one knows the hour. When those hands will stop? At late or early hour. Now is the only time you have to do His perfect will. Don't wait for tomorrow, my friends, for your clock may then be still. Tom's June is gone. That's what happened. I saw... So Nancy and I just said, what should we do? We decided, uh, if possible, we'd like to truncate our ministry in, in, in Shanghai, which we did. We finished everything we meant to do. We had a great time. They were so blessed. And we said, and we finished that, that afternoon and said, could we catch a flight in the evening? We want to come back and be in time for the funeral. And they said, sure. So we changed flights. Hop on the plane, night flight, red eye, got into Singapore, hop on another plane, got to Kuching, in time for the wake, in time for the funeral. And then we learned the story of Thomas Chung. Is what happened. He was having dinner with his adopted son, Jason. Some of you may have met him before. And, uh, and, and his adopted son is in his 30s. And uh, they were just having a chat at dinner in Kuching. And then he felt unwell. Something, you know, a little bit tight in his part of his chest. Found a bit difficult to breathe. Yeah, they finished the meal quickly. He took Jason back home, dropped him off. And then he said, I've got to go home to rest. So he drove off back home. And this is what we surmised happened. He reached his house, okay, he opened the gate, drove his car into the compound, got out of the car, shut the gate, and shortly after he shut the gate, we know, he suddenly must have felt unwell. But he didn't collapse on the floor, face down, anything. It's amazing. He had time to just probably sit initially and lie down quickly. And then as he laid down, hands on by his side, his face looking up to heaven, his eyes open. He went to be with Jesus, lying perpendicular to the gate. And uh, his adopted son of the family tried to ring him a few, you know, half an hour later, tried to check, make sure he was okay. And there was no answer to the call, so they came. And that's where they found him. At the funeral, there were bishops, there were high court judges, and all kinds of people there. And there were people, you know, who were students, people who were very poor, people who were rich. But it's a life. It's a legacy of a life. And one day, the net will be drawn shut. You don't know when. It could be very sudden. It could be very gradual. You might live to a ripe old age of 90, 100. It could be very sudden. 
you never know. And Jesus used this illustration because it's exactly what happens when a fish actually came to shore. Because as you throw certain fish away, some of these fish might be actually, you know, fish that are not just edible, but probably very bad for human consumption. How many of you like Japanese food, especially sashimi? Can I see your hands? Ooh, these are the sashimi lovers here. This is a plate of sashimi, okay? It will set you back 5,000 US dollars, this plate of sashimi. You may think, what could be so expensive? This is fugu sashimi. Fugu is made from the flesh of the puffer fish, one of the most poisonous fish, yeah, in the sea right now. And I'm sure as the, 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 um, the, the fishermen were sorting out the fish on the land, if they came across any fugu, came across any blowfish or puffer fish, would they keep it or not? No. Every fisherman here in KK knows you throw it away. Either throw it back to the sea or just throw it out somewhere else. Don't ever eat puffer fish. But of course, in Japan, it's regarded as a delicacy because a puffer fish contains um, toxins in its entrails and in its, in its skin. So, and that, that, that um, poison is so toxic that a small, minute, minuscule amount will kill you. You know, have you seen James Bond movie? This guy walks along with an umbrella and a spike at the end of the umbrella. He walks past the, 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 the double agent. He walks past a spy in a crowd and he just pierces him with the umbrella. You ever seen that? Yeah. And then within about a couple of, half a minute, the guy just clutches his, his leg and he collapses. That's fugu toxin. That's one of the puffer fish. Instant. It kills you. And so we know. Yeah. This is what happens. When they're sorting out the fish, these are the fish that they don't want. And you know, even recently, we just reported last month, right? A Malaysian couple, an elderly Malaysian couple died of puffer fish poisoning. They were in Johor. And they hadn't heard. It was an old couple. They hadn't heard that puffer fish was actually poisonous. When I was working in Sandakan, I used to treat puffer fish poisoning. I treated once a Filipino family. They came in. Four of them had eaten puffer fish. Three died instantly within, in the house. Couldn't get to the hospital on time. The other one was paralyzed and carried into hospital. We managed to save him over two weeks of ICU treatment in Sandakan. No joke, puffer fish treatment. And Jesus said, they're sorting out and throwing away these kind of fish. And then he said one thing, that when the angels come at the end, he's going to burn them in fire. Then you realize, hmm, why burn them in fire? Well, it's like this. It's like this. You know, if you think about it, if your fishermen just catch good fish and just keep, and bad fish to throw back into the sea. What do you think will happen? Eventually, the whole sea will be populated with trash fish, right? Well, I mean, at least to the Jews, trash fish. The Chinese will come for the prawns and the lobsters and the crabs, of course, but, but the trash fish. So, so the way to get rid of this, to make sure that the pond is not contaminated with trash fish, is to make sure that while you get a puffer fish and the eels and the catfish and all the crustaceans out, you burn it. That's why we have the picture of burning there. And Jesus said, one day, that's going to happen. Not only will we sort it out, there will be a burning of our lives. And he says, once death comes, the net is drawn shut. You can't go back. And then the third phase happens. There is a time that will come now, after death, when the catch is sorted out. Verse 49 to 50. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from amongst the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. 
and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Everybody say, end of the age. When will it come? End of the age. This parable reaches out into the future. It tells us it will happen. It will happen. The end of the age. Someday a great separation will take place. And thank God, it is the angelic hosts, not human beings, who will be doing the separation. Just imagine if Pastor Rachel and Pastor John were doing the separation. You know, quite a lot of you wouldn't get in. Okay. If Pastor Peter was doing the separation together with Elder Clive, because Elder Clive is a lawyer, it will cost you a lot to get in. Luckily, it's just angels. Somebody say amen. Because human beings, we have our own biases. Just imagine sitting here. We already more or less think, you know what? I think I'm better than the other person. Oh, you know, if he can get in, I can get in too. Or maybe that other person doesn't deserve it. Who says? Only God knows. You don't know. That's why God doesn't trust any of us to do the separation. He uses angels. And these angels will do the separation and they will throw them into the fire. The angels say, God says, those who are kept and those who are thrown into the fire. The three things will come about at the end of age. One day history will be rolled out. Jesus is going to come back. Those who have died before will either have died under grace, they have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are saved not by works, but by grace. They have lived a life under grace, under forgiveness, under repentance. And they are kept in the, in the barrels. They are kept. Those who have not, they are recast out. They are kept for the day of fire. And one day, when the whole of the end comes, the end of the age, that separation will be final. Those who are kept will come into God's kingdom. Those who are not will be burnt forever. So it will be at the end of the age. Somebody say, it will be. Say it loud. Read this sentence with me loud, ready, go. So it will be at the end of the age. It will be. You say, oh, you know what? I don't think so. It's your word against Jesus. He says, it will be. It will be. That's why I couch the potential end of the world in scientific terms because, oh, maybe, you know, some validity to it. But really, the Bible has said it all along. It will be. And people say, you know, it won't be. There's no such thing as fire. There's no such thing as hell. There's no such thing as heaven. And in my generation, the seductive tunes of John Lennon with his famous song that's really gone right across generations. You know that song? Imagine Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above only sky. Imagine all the people just living for today. You, who, you may think, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. John Lennon has come. He's gone. His songs, still, you can pick it up on Spotify, whatever. And it's still very seductive in its tones to draw you 
to believe. It won't be. There's no hell. There's no heaven. And there's no hurry. There's no need to hurry. I will tell you right now, it's John Lennon's words versus Jesus' words. You pay your money, you take your pick as to which one you want to follow. Not only will it be final, it will be factual. It will be factual in the sense that God will know who those who are His. You know, sometimes it will challenge us because many of us, we think, we're okay. And Jesus says, you know what? Don't call me Lord, Lord. There are many people who call me Lord, Lord who don't. Who, who I say to them, I never knew you. Make sure you have the inner witness of God's love and God's presence in your heart. Make sure that there's fruitfulness in your life. Make sure you walk in a repentant life and don't harbor anger, bitterness, jealousy, vindictiveness, revenge, unforgiveness towards other people. Make sure that the God's joy and the Holy Spirit lives in you. It's under grace. God knows those who are His. Because if we decide ourselves, we get it wrong all the time, even for ourselves. Make sure. That's why. Because the Lord knows those who are His. Somebody once wrote this poem. He said, I dreamed death came the other night and heaven's gates swung open wide. An angel stood and ushered me to come inside. And to my shock were people I'd known from earth whom I thought were unsaved and not much worth. I was angry, upset. But little did I see. Everyone looked stunned because no one was expecting me. Turn to your neighbor and say, He's not talking about you. So you think you're okay? This parable challenges us. Now is the time of grace. The net is already cast. One day, the net will shut. And the next, the one day, the sorting will take place. Make sure. Make sure. And here's the final thing. It will be fatal. It will be fatal. One to life, everlasting life. One to everlasting separation from God. It's Jesus' words versus your opinion. And therefore, you must have earnest, not only just for yourself. That's why we live as a church in God's kingdom. The net is open. That's why we want as many people as possible to come to Jesus. Somebody say amen. If you ask me what's the desire for me this morning, it's that you may come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Somebody say amen. If, what's my desire this morning? If you slipped away from Jesus and you, you, you faded away and you backslided, this is the day for you to come back to acknowledge Him as your Lord and Savior and to recommit your life to Him. Somebody say amen. That's my desire. That's my greatest joy. And that should be your greatest joy too. Not only in this church because the net is cast open. That's why we should be inclusive. But to your family. Your family. Your loved ones. Your loved ones. The people are dear to you. You want to listen to the seductive songs of John Lennon? There's no heaven. There's no earth. There's no hurry. Or do you want to listen to Jesus' words of the parable of the dragnet? And His promises to you that if you will step forward by faith and believe for your family to be saved, you and your household will be saved. Somebody say, Amen. Acts chapter 16. That's what He said. So today, I want you to believe that, you'll be, that your household will be saved. I want you to believe your loved ones will be saved. Your spouses will be saved. Your children will be saved. Your aunts, your aunties, your uncles will be saved. Your cousins will be saved. Your parents will be saved. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend will be saved. Somebody say, Amen. All heads bowed, all eyes closed right now. 
Because when we come to the end of the age, that's what it means for all of us. The end of the age. We have to reckon with what God wants us for our, our lives. All heads bowed, all eyes closed right now. Jesus is saying, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. Will you open the door of your heart to me? If you've never known what it is to trust in Jesus, you've never made that decision. Today, Jesus says, will you open the door of your heart and invite me into your heart? He says, behold, I understand at the door of your heart and I knock. If you hear my voice, if you hear my voice today, Jesus says, open the door of your heart. And Pastor Philip, you open the door of your heart and Jesus says, I will come in. I will give you a new life, an eternal life. And you will belong under grace. While the net is open, one day the net will shut. But you are okay, you are safe because you're safe in my arms. To my right, to my left, to my front and back. Right now, if you say, Pastor Philip, pray for me. I want to give my heart to Jesus. You've never done that before. Or pray for me. I want to recommit my life to Jesus. Now at the count of three, will you raise up your hand? Okay? Don't worry about the person to your right or left. It's you and God. And Jesus is speaking to you. He loves you. He wants to include you today. And if you backslide up from the Lord, if you've gone away, today, recommit your life. Lift up your hands at the count of three to receive Jesus and to recommit your life. One, two, three. Just lift it up right now. Lift it up. I see a hand right now here in the front. God bless you, sir. I see a hand over there. God bless you on that side. Anyone else here? Thank you for those two hands. Those two gentlemen who have put up their hands. There's some more. I know God is speaking. Hey guys, don't wait on the net to shut. You never know the net to shut tomorrow. If you say, Pastor Philip, I need to recommit and get my life right. I want with God right now. Then would you raise up your hand right now? I've just come to one, one more time at the count of three. One, two, three. Just raise it up right now. If you didn't do that before. Right now. I see a hand over there. God bless you. Sir, yes. Spirit of God is upon you right now on that. Just raise up your hand one more time, sir. Just do that. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. All the three right now. Anyone else? I want to ask you to join me in this prayer. The prayer to recommit your life to Jesus. A prayer to commit your life to Jesus or rededicate your life to Jesus. And Skyline, you pray with me to encourage all our three brothers who have given their hearts to Jesus today. Are you ready now? Say, Father God. Say it loud. Father God. Thank you for the net. Jesus died for me on the cross. And I'm included. Today, I open the door of my heart. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord, my Savior, my Master. Lord, my trust is in you alone. Nothing can save me except for your blood on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. I'm forgiven. I'm saved. And you live in me. As my Lord, my Savior, and my Master. I give you praise. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I just pray for all these who committed their lives to you. And I pray, Father, that Jesus, as you live in their hearts, Holy Spirit, guide them to read your word, to grow in you, to be part of this family, so that from this day, they know without any shadow of doubt the inner witness of the Spirit that they are born again 
as sons of the living God. We give you praise in Jesus' name. In a short while, somebody will come to you before we are dismissed today and they will give you something, uh, some resource to help you begin your new life in Jesus. At the end of the service, please give them a few minutes just to stay with you and to pray with you and to take some details from you. And once again, welcome to God's family. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand for all of them. Praise God. Amen. Let's stand on our feet right now. Everyone stand on our feet right now. Amen. We're going to sing a last song in a short while. But how many of you, you're going to believe together with me that your family will be saved. Members of your family will be saved this year. Can I see your hands? How many of you have unsaved members of your family, immediate family? Can I see your hands? Okay. How many of you are going to believe with me that immediate members of your family, not everybody, but definitely the one that you ask God for, you're going to believe that they'll be saved. Can I see your hands? Wave it in there. You know, yesterday, I was asked to make a house call. And somebody who had, you know, who had lost hope in, in life, and not a house call, a house visit. This is a pastoral visit, not a, a medical house call. A pastoral visit. Just went there. And I felt the Spirit of God. I felt the openness of the heaven. And I just felt God's presence. And God is promising that each and every one of you. You know, I didn't waste time. Just went and just said to him, today is your day of salvation. He had not spoken for days to members of his family. I said, today is your day of salvation. I'm Pastor Philip. I'm also a doctor. Don't believe just what the doctors say. You know, there's no hope for you. Believe God. Because doctors are not God. Take doctors prog- prognosticate. They can give you a prognosis, but God has a final answer. Somebody say amen. He has a final say. So believe God. And with that, he opened his heart to Jesus, received Jesus as Lord and Savior, and we celebrated with communion together. Can somebody say amen? Same can happen to your family. Can happen to your loved ones. Can happen to your household. How many of you believe it with me? Praise God. Right now, I want you to raise up your hands if you believe that with me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we're going to pray together. Say, Father God, I believe with all my heart Salvation will come into my household Because your word says I'm saved And my household And I believe your promises They are yes They are amen In Christ Jesus And today Lord This is the season Where the net is open For my family Grace upon my family Favor upon my family Salvation for my family. In the name of Jesus, I believe in all my heart. By faith, they will be saved. And Lord, teach me to step up by faith. To share in love. To share by faith. To share in boldness. When the opportunity arises. Thank you for using me. And thank you for salvation coming to my household. In Jesus' name I pray. Come on everybody, let's give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. Hey, thanks so much for listening and stay tuned for the next episode. If you need prayer or if you'd like to get to know our community better, visit us at skylinesib.com and let's connect on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube at SkylineSIB. Have a great week ahead.